The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. And this is KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM. I am Tani Tenuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth Elf, coming up in just a few moments. An elvish perspective on life with What Would Arwen Do? Listening to KCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, Orange County's alternative radio station, and quite possibly the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. This is the music of Howard Shore, Academy Award winning music from the Fellowship of the Ring. I am Tani Genuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do on Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m., alternating weeks with Phenomenal Woman. My Govanin and Suilade to everyone listening live and online and to my charming Hobbit co-host. My Lolongsdown at your service. Greetings to all of you listening live at 88.9 FM. Also greetings to those of you listening on the Internet at KUCI.org. This radio station, one of the very first to have 24 by 7 streaming over the Internet. You can also listen to us via podcast. And so hello to you if you're listening to us while jogging or in the gym or just at home resting. You can get our podcasts, KUCITalk.org. And if you are tuning in for the first time, you may be wondering what this show is all about. Well, if a Middle Earth elf lived today in Southern California, in Irvine to be more precise, what might her life look like? How would she as a modern elf celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? Some people like to ask, what would Jesus do? And that is a very good question. But on this program, when challenges in life arise, as the wizard Gandalf puts it, questions, questions that need answering, we like to ask, what would Arwen do? 
Who was Arwen, you may be wondering? In J.R.R. Tolkien's Mythology of Middle-Earth, Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves, and lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or in Elvish, Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With great privilege comes responsibility. She embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and her service to others. In uh, Tolkien and The Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. As an elf, I believe this elven quality exists today in every living person and yearns for expression through gifts of creativity, nobility, and service to others. So welcome again, Alain Delis, elf friends. Alain Salah Lumen Amentielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. I am Tani Tinuviel. And I am Milo Lomsdown at your service. And you're listening to What Would Arwen Do on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming live at KUCI.org. You can contact us if you like. We'd love to hear from you at askanelf, that's A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F at yahoo.com. And as I said earlier, you can find podcasts and lots of information about this show and all the public affairs and wonderful music programs here at KUCI at www.kuci.org. And the podcasts are at KUCITalk.org. We also have our podcasts on iTunes. Just go to the iTunes store and search for Arwen. That's A-R-W-E-N. So, my dear Hobbit friend, as we are lovers of the books and the movies of Middle-Earth, is there any new movie news for the upcoming Hobbit movies? Or, wait, before we get into that... Well, before we get into that, we should mention something that's special here in the studio today. Absolutely. What is that? That is, we have as a guest in the studio a tremendously interesting author, uh, certainly a phenomenal woman, Jennifer Horseman, who wrote several novels... But to me, most famous for, please don't eat the animals. Yes. But yes, to answer your question, there is movie news. So please uh, stay with us because I am very excited about our guest today that we'll be talking about all the reasons that people might want to consider to be a vegetarian. And uh, there are many, even past what seem to be the obvious ones. So please stay with us. Stay with us a few minutes. I have some things I would like to go over. So just for those <clears throat> who may be tuning in for the first time or wondering, um, the we both love the Lord of the Rings movies as well as the Lord of the Rings books and many of us all of the other tomes of uh, knowledge and uh, information that there are out there about Middle Earth. But we also love the movies and just, was it last December, we found out that there was the Greenlight 4... 
The Hobbit Part One and The Hobbit Part Two. Slated for release. Well, the latest date is December nineteenth, twenty twelve. It's going to be fourteen months of production, then lots of months of post production, as we say, for putting in the special magical elements, and then、uh, initial release will be. The current opening date that's slotted is December nineteenth, twenty twelve, for part one. And I'm so grateful for you, my dear Hobbit co-host, because、um, much as I love the movies, that's how I was introduced to Middle Earth. I tend to spend most of my time nowadays in all the books and the literature, and、um, but I love that you know so much, being having been、uh, somewhat of a professional movie critic and、uh, involved even professionally in the world of movies for many many years. You are the perfect person to keep us up to date on what's going on with the movies and. Um, so there's, you know, there's the casting things, and、um, so what's going on for this week?、So、le- well, there is several interesting things. I do want to highlight to our audience that EWTN, the Eternal Word Television Network, which is an American-based network that focuses on Catholicism and Catholics, the great Joseph Pierce, who has done wonderful series on other things, including Shakespeare. Joseph Pierce and artist Jeff Murray have collaborated on a new TV special on J.R.R. Tolkien that will be broadcast this week. Oh! Air dates for the show, which should be accessible worldwide over EWTN.org, and of course EWTN on your cable system if you get、uh, that cable channel. Wednesday, April sixth, tomorrow at seven p.m. Pacific time. Then April eighth at ten a.m. Pacific time, and Saturday, April ninth at two a.m. Pacific time. So set your recorder or watch it live. It's it's something of interest. But getting specifically to the Hobbit movie news, well, principal photography started a couple weeks ago, and probably the most interesting thing that I saw in the various news groups and message boards and publications that I track is that the young Irish actress Sharice Ronan, who is、mm-hmm. going to be playing, says IMDb.com. The Internet Movie Database says she is definite for Itoril, a new character that's not in the Hobbit book. Yes, I know. And she'll、I'm、be playing an elf. But she has been coy and cagey with the press, not admitting that she actually is going to be in the film.、Mm. So I suspect this again. There's there's lots to movie magic. Part of the magic of movies, since the very early days, has been publicity. There were vast sums of money spent in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s on publicity by the studios, for instance. So, I, I don't, I don't know.、Uh, she says, "quote IMDb says one thing, but won't confirm rumors." She says, "quote I'm not actually attached. I'm not confirmed, but they are introducing new characters. I know that there's a few new characters,、hmm. and so." I think I'd pass for an elf. I think I have the right ears. I wouldn't want to be a hobbit. I don't like hairy feet. <laughs> That's what Charisse Ronan says. Well, I know some people don't, you know, are purists and they don't like these extra elements that come into the movies. I loved what Peter Jackson did with the Lord of the Rings and bringing it to the screen, and I look at it as just a different art form of this particular story. So I kind of take the. Uh, like I loved this story of you know James Cameron's、um, Titanic. 
I yes. loved that 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 story right. uh, of of Rose and Jack that was woven through that. That was not a historical right. account, but I just I just loved it. So I think there's certain there certainly were lots of other elves and hobbits and things living during that time. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, Peter Jackson weaves this uh, story within the story. Speaking of story, Kate Blanchett, who plays Galadriel mm-hmm. and who's confirmed and signed and everything, Yay. she's quoted in Collider.com saying that, uh, quote, she has yet to see a script and wasn't sure when she actually starts filming. So it's a very thrilling thing for an actress to commit to a film without seeing the script, is, uh, especially for a great actress like her, unusual. The other thing I would mention is very important to remember to go to McKellen.com. Sir Ian McKellen is not only a great actor. Oh, my gosh, if you've seen him in Shakespeare, uh, Chekhov, He's just simply brilliant. If if you're lucky enough to have seen Waiting for Gatto, um, I mean, just brilliant, unbelievable. But he also is good at writing a blog, and he's blogging <laughs> every few days. Uh-huh. He's writing a weblog, really sort of a diary blog. online of what his experiences are while filming. So tell us what, what his uh, blog name is. His blog name is, you just go to uh, McKellen.com. Go to ianmckellen.com, oh, okay. and you will see his information. Right. And he's had several fascinating things to um, to say. He was talking about his nose, right? <laughs> the nose in the new film is going to be smaller, perhaps Gandalf's because Gandalf nose? is a little oh. younger. I don't know. But the false nose looked not quite as we'd remembered, he writes. That's because it wasn't. I had requested a smaller nose than last time. <laughs> Interesting. The, the Weta sculptors were making new noses anyway, silicon replacing the old sticky gelatin that tended to slide around if the wizard sneezed or shouted. It's like old times. Gandhi's clothes, he calls Gandalf Gandhi. Uh-huh. Gandhi's clothes are hanging around my trailer in steps. Emma Hare, who dressed me last time, valiant, sporting, reliable, and ready to put up once more with my early morning grumps and end-of-day sloth. Oh, we giggle as we remember the tricks of the layered costume. And... The other thing he mentions is, in doing a test, he had to use a new costume. Do you know that his original costume has been designated, apparently by the New Zealand government, as an historical artifact not to be played with? So it's there on display on the set to remind people of the history, but he can't wear it anymore. (laughs) Wow, that's really cool. Maybe someday there'll be a Lord of the Rings museum. Wouldn't that be wonderful? (laughs) That would be fabulous. So there are some highlights from the world of the movies, but we have an in-studio guest, which is much we more do. important. and we're going to be getting to um, the whole rest of our time we're going to spend with uh, Jennifer. Um, before that, we're going to mention real quickly just a couple of local things that are going on. We're going to have a Good. little bit of Middle Earth music to transition over. Um, a couple of things that we do want to mention is that coming up just a week, a week for, not this coming weekend, but the next weekend is... Uh, Earth Day, so some people are celebrating it the 17th, some people the 16th. Uh, the Ecology Center, one of my favorite uh, bunches of people doing wonderful things on the planet, down in San Juan Capistrano. They are having celebrating Earth Day um, all day long on Saturday. 
April 16th, 10.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Day-long activities. They're going to have the eco shop, including worm bins, gray water kits, terrariums, rain barrels. You can learn so many wonderful things through the folks over at the Ecology Center. It's a wellspring of information and knowledge. Oh, yeah. And uh, they're going to have a plant sale. They'll have food uh, from 11.30 to 1.30. Chomp Chomp Nation Truck will be there. I'd be... I'm pretty uh, confident that this is going to be all vegetarian food. They're going to have free workshops from 1 o'clock to 3.30, kite making. How I would love to go to that, learn how to make a kite. Potted herb gardens, garden herb salve, you know, something you can put on yourself. Set seed balls. And uh, so, yeah, that's this uh, not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday, April 16th, from 10.30 a.m. to uh, 4 p.m. on the Sunday, the April 18th, there's the Earth Day through the uh, uh, our friends at the Back Bay, the Interpretive Center. And I apologize because I don't have my card here with the information about that. But you can always Google uh, Friends of Upper Newport Bay and find information for the Peter and Mary Muth Interpretive Center and Earth Day. They will be having programs going on all day as well, celebrating the Earth and our love for the Earth uh, on Sunday, April 18th. So that weekend will be Earth Day weekend. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about a special event that we have coming up that KUCI will be involved with that's uh, in sponsorship of the living, of uh, Center for Living Peace and uh, UCI? It's just a miraculous thing. They've already had the great Academy Award-winning actress, Char- Charlize Theron. They've had Sir Richard Branson, the brilliant industrialist and innovator, a wild-ass guy, but a brilliant guy. (laughs) But on Wednesday, May the 4th, all tickets have been sold out for His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama in person at the UCI Bren Events Center at 1.30 p.m. Now, we mention this for two reasons. One is to let you know that His Holiness will be speaking, and he is He is a great man, if you've listened to him on TV, as I have many times. But KUCI will be broadcasting it live. That includes KUCI.org, where we are 24 by 7, streaming live, and have been for many, many years. His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama, 1.30 p.m. on Wednesday, May the 4th. So, mark your calendars. And anent of that, I'd like to read a little something from a very interesting book. (laughs) Quote, His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama has also said, quote, I do not see any reason why animals should be slaughtered to serve as human diet when there are so many substitutes. After all, man can live without meat. Do you know what book that's in, Elf Princess? Please tell me. Please don't eat the animals. Subtitled, All the Reasons You Need to Be a Vegetarian by Jennifer Horseman and Jamie Flowers. It's published... By, it's published. Quill Books by. I'm looking Quill, for the, it's the, the the. There we go. It's Quill Driver Books from Sanger, California. Quill Driver Books, and in case you're you're tracking it, the ISBN number. As a Hobbit, I like you know just definite facts. <laughs> the, the ISBN number is one eight eight four nine five six six zero. Two. And of and course, you can always Google 
please don't eat the animals and find it. You'll, you'll immediately, if you just Google a few words of that title, it's just top of the Google results list. And that is just the tiniest, tiniest bit of treasure that comes from this amazing book. And we have Jennifer here with us today. We're going to have a teensy bit of Hobbit music to get us in the mood for talking about our friends, the animals, and our love of the earth. And, and then, the things the earth produces. Absolutely. And the ways that we can protect and love those things. We elves are very concerned about this. And uh, so please stay with us. You are listening to What Would Arwen Do on KUCI 88.9 FM and streaming live on the Internet at KUCI.org. And here is Howard Shore with a little bit of Hobbit music, and we will be back in just a moment. that enchanting music from the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, the Complete Recordings Academy Award winning music from Howard Shore and that was The Shire. So, here we are and let us say welcome Milo to our guest Jennifer Horsman. Milo, do you want to read uh, just a little bit to tell our listeners a little bit? Again, you are listening to What Would Arwen Do on KUCI in Irvine. Uh, Tell our listeners a little bit about Jennifer. Absolutely. In her own words from smashwords.com. Oh. Quote, I was born and raised in San Francisco, California. I moved south to finish my college degree at UCI. That's University of California, Irvine. And we're at, we're on KUCI, the voice of UCI. She continues, here I fell instantly and madly in love with one of my professors who I finally convinced to marry me. <laughs> While most of my life force was sucked up by a steady stream of kids, dogs, and cats, I managed to write a few books. I include a picture of the love of my life, O.C., a nutty and funny newfie. She's not really a dog, but rather an extension of my personality. I currently live in Laguna Beach, California. Things I love, life, the ocean, good books, Ashtanga yoga, redwood forests, most people, all animals, long walks, and stormy nights. In addition to historical romance novels, I write children's novels and nonfiction plays and screenplays. Welcome. Amazing. Yes. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'll let's move that a little bit closer. Welcome. Thank you so much for having <laughs> There, that's on. good. <laughs> Jennifer, so you have quite an interesting, uh, colorful palette of interests and writing achievements as well. Uh, this this book was, uh, Please Don't Eat the Animals, was written, um, was published when? 2006. 2006. Yeah. Now, but your other, um, your alter ego life as a writer, writing... Uh, Romance uh, novels. Romance. Are they historical romance novels? Most of them are yeah. historical romance novels. Um, that was that. Did that predate? Uh, it predated this. Yes. yes. So, can, tell us a little bit about just about you, Jennifer, as the person. Um, I find it fascinating that you would move from writing romance novels, which is a completely different type of writing, to nonfiction books uh, relating to your passion for animals. 
Well, I started off graduating from UCI and having nothing to recommend employment. I had no idea what I should do, and I read in the paper, the LA Times, that half of all books published were romance novels. So I thought, you know, wanting to be a writer, I thought that might be a good place to start. So I had never read one, and my (laughs) husband and I went out and we bought ten. He read five, I read five. And by the end of it, at first I was somewhat shocked that people would take a woman's sexual fantasy and put it on paper. (laughs) But I knew I could do it. And so I just started and I sold my first book. The only reason it sold was, as the editor explained, explained to me, was I had the sex scene at the exact right spot. You and must have just known that intuitively. Yeah. What's What's interesting to me is I went and read some excerpts in preparation for today's program, mm-hmm. expecting to see something sort of tawdry and, you know, cheap. But in fact, Jennifer's prose with the flowing sentences is just simply beautiful. It's really, He's you know. He's exaggerating. No. Uh, this just really. can't be true. <laughs> But so back how many how many novels did you write though before you started? You no, know, I uh, almost can't keep track. It's like is it like um, it's over ten? Oh, okay, be- between ten and twelve. It depends on what you count. Like I yeah. wrote a Christmas story that was part of a collection mm-hmm. that is very popular at Christmas. I sell tons and tons of those. So, so. like maybe a book a year or yeah, it was about a book a year. About a book a year. Yeah, it was actually a yeah. book a year. Mm-hmm. And then so then how what. What was the inspiration for your transition into writing about your passion for animals? Now, did you become a vegetarian? Were you always a vegetarian? Did you Just become? It, well, what what happened in my, the history of my vegetarianism was um, I, I was about 17, and my mom read Animal Liberation by Peter Singer. Mm. And um, this is a very powerful book, and I recommend it to everybody listening, because if you want to rock your world, change your life, read Peter Singer's Animal Liberation. It it sold 20 million, and it has recently, a few years ago, been updated. So, But it, it's a phenomenal book. Peter Singer is uh, one of the smartest people on the planet, and he's... Uh, a professor of philosophy at Princeton University and just an amazing person. I dedicated the book to him because he's like my hero. Mm -hmm. But anyway, my mom had read this book and she just came home and said, Jennifer, she's finding out how the animals were treated Mm -hmm. in the production of meat. She said, Jennifer, we can't eat meat anymore. And it was just like once we had that understanding, it translated to... A change in our behavior, mm-hmm. and so I read the book and became a vegetarian. Now, how long ago was that? I was seventeen. Yeah, so yeah. quite a 17. while ago. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, you know, because like a decade ago. No, but because because you have a daughter, <laughs> you know, so sweet. I just you know, I'm guy. I'm just saying though, but I mean, this was a while ago because you have a daughter that co-wrote the book with She's you that that is yes. yeah that is graduated uh-huh. from college. So yeah, so you've been on the vegetarian path for some time. A long time, yes, yeah. and. 
it, and it I, was because of the animals. It wasn't just because someone told you it's 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 healthier to eat a vegetarian diet. No, it, as a matter of fact, I'm not, I'm almost profoundly disinterested in health issues. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just not. I know a lot about it mm-hmm. in researching this book, and I know you know I can I can discuss calcium and vegetarian diets and where we get our calcium. What is the best way to get ca- calcium? So on and so forth. There's no minutia in the vegetarian health um, area that I can't discuss, but mm-hmm. it's not the reason. For me, For me, it's always been the animals. Right. And the environment, too. Well, and it's interesting because... And yet the book is chock-a-block with fascinating and valuable health information. Yes. Well, I know for me, I, I've... Uh, it was health, you know, I kind of toyed with vegetarianism for quite a while. When I became, when I started my adventure of my life as an elf about, uh, I guess, nine years ago now, and um, I, I thought, and for me, vegetarian always seemed to make more sense. It's just, I mean, as far as if I can nourish myself without having to kill anything, why wouldn't I choose that over creating pain or suffering for another fellow creature? Because I've always been a lover of animals and a lover of the planet. But one of the things that would catalyze it for me was from the, the book, The Silmarillion, which is the history of the elves, and it, where it talks about, and my, one of my favorite stories is of Bran and Luthien, an elf maiden and um, mortal man and uh it talks about before Berin had met uh luthien it talks about that here and this is one of my favorite quotes it says thereafter for four years more Berin wandered still apart upon dorthonian a solitary outlaw but he became the friend of birds and beasts and they aided him and did not betray him and from that time forth he ate no flesh nor slew any living thing that was not in the service of Morgoth and when I read that the first time I thought oh my gosh I mean here was someone who just because he had been aided by the birds and beasts thought why would I kill them for food when I don't need to and he became a vegetarian and it was because of the animals and that was that was the turn that was the turning point for me where there was no turning back you know because it was about the animals you know right yeah so 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 then um so this was like when you were 17 years old so you've been a vegetarian all this time how though was it that this book has come about uh, please don't eat the animals well being i net case about <laughs> it and not wanting to irritate any more friends than i had to i had to get this passion out and i just i wanted what I there's many wonderful books on being a vegetarian. There's uh, Peter Singer's book Animal Liberation, and there's I have a list right here. There's actually a, a very nice bibliography. Yeah, in the but there's a uh, Diet for a New America. One of my favorites is Dominion: The Power of Man, the Suffering of Animals, and a Call to Mercy, by Matthew Scully, who is uh, George Bush's, he was George Bush's first speechwriter, and um, you, a lot of people might not want to forgive him for that, but <laughs> that man, especially in a liberal community like UCI, but um, he is a fabulous writer, a beautiful writer, and he brings his the same 
um, compassion for animals with a really pretty much a fundamentalist Christian perspective and puts it in this book. And this book has been so influential in conservative uh, corners, like uh, George Will became a vegetarian after reading Mm. this book, and many other very conservative people. It's really wonderful. Well, one of the things I loved in this book that I, um, when I first picked it up and I just want to tell a little bit about my story in discovering this book because um, as my dear Hobbit co-host knows I uh, I love animals but for me um, not it's not so much that chickens are particularly I'm enamored of them per se but when I was growing up we moved to a farm for a couple of years at one point and we got uh, like uh, hundreds of chickens was one of our things when we first started and we had moved to the farm from the city and you know part of my job every day was to go out and make sure the chickens were okay and we would feed the, fed the chickens and the chickens grew up and these were my friends you know that I would go out and see them every day and they were kind of dumb you know because chickens aren't real smart you know but they were just so cute you know they peck at your shoelaces and they just you know chirp 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 and so um, and we would get eggs you know that we would have for breakfast and then I had no idea this was coming but one day it was announced to me that it was time to slaughter the chickens to put them in the freezer and I was like what do you mean these are our friends why do we need to kill the chickens well we need to have them for food and I'm like well we have a whole garden out there why do we need the chickens for food and it was very traumatic for me because I had to participate in that slaughter uh, which it, to me that that's exactly what it was. It was a big bloody mess, and as a twelve-year-old girl, it, it was just it was very traumatic for me. Mm. And um, I never silence of the lambs. I never wanted to eat uh, chickens after that because I had had to participate. Now I will say for those of you that may be concerned, oh my gosh, you know, for me, um, I had a wonderful healing experience. Uh, it was actually during my uh, Reiki attunement where I um, had uh, something of a visit from an animal guide in a sense of a chicken that uh, and I was going through a great deal of sorrow about that experience of having to kill the chickens and I felt as though a representative chicken said to me it's okay let it go we would have gladly given our lives for the nourishment of your family and so I had a wonderful healing experience of that but I still feel very a very strong connection to to chickens and to poultry and also because of the way that they are treated the the whole industry and everything is so unnecessary for the cruelty of these animals so I, I just want to interrupt you right there i it actually is necessary when that if you look at the amount of uh, animals being processed for our dinner tables there is no way that they can be treated humanely Right. There's no. There's no way. Yeah. There's. No, there's no way to do and it. I, I think that I meat eating in the last century was different. When you raised the cow, the cow had a happy cow life until an aged cow, and it was off with their head. Right. Very merciful. Very quick. It, that it's just not. It, it was completely different. And even the an, the Indians, I mean, they, they hunted, they went out, they, they honored the buffalo. Every part of the animal was used. It was almost like this, you know, agreement of, you know, no, the circle I, of I life. I would just stop you right there because I don't think there's any animal who has ever willingly... Uh, well, I'm not... No, I don't, I don't no, say that. I, but we need to think of it from the animal's perspective. That's the... That's why I... I, I object to people. I've heard many people say that they give prayers to the animal. I'm like, well, that doesn't really help them. I mean, okay. You know. Well, uh, I'm 
and I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I I guess I just feel that there's no reason to eat. <laughs> if there ever wasn't a reason to eat animals, there yeah. is no longer a reason to eat animals. Exactly. And I'm not saying yeah. necessarily that there was. I'm just saying if there was, there certainly isn't now in the yeah. times that we live yeah. in. So um, so when I saw your book and uh, this little chick on here that and this thing that said, please don't eat the animals, I'm like, yes, please don't eat them. We don't need to eat them. <laughs> and one of the things that I fell in love with with your book was there are many books out there advocating you know vegetarianism and environmentalism and a lot of times they just have so much information in them that it seems to be overwhelming, it's overwhelming. and they're a lot they're very thick 500 pages and they will convince you if you have the time and commitment to sit down and read that many pages and that was the impetus for writing this book was it, it's very short I, it's very well referenced. It's only the scientific facts about the health benefits of a right. vegetarian diet, the environmental um, cost of meat production, which is huge. I don't think many people understand just how how huge that is and why. Right. And uh, the environmental benefits of a vegetarian diet, and then the animal welfare issues. And the last part of the book, I just discussed what each of the major religions say about vegetarianism. And that's what, one of the reasons I love this book so much, yeah. because anyone who is even somewhat interested or even maybe on the fence or something, this allows you to really have an understanding of these things. And it's well-documented. It's not over. It's not overloading you with you know hundreds of reports, but it's well documented. And the other thing I like about it is just your compassionate attitude in the book. You're not beating people over the head saying you're bad, you're wrong. You know you need to do this now because you've been bad for doing that. It's just presenting the case on behalf of the animals. You know to 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 consider a different way of being in the world in relation to the animals that we share this planet with. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love it. Um, so I would like, um, um, you know, Milo, would you mind, because I want to ask uh, Jenny to read a little bit from the book, but I'd like just to give people a little idea because they, uh, they can't see what I have in my hands. Yes, it's, and, it's um, not And to only read this part on the back because this, this oh. gives you a little snippet of some of the things that she talked about. It's, it's just it's just a fabulous book. the The main meat of the book is barely a hundred pages, so it's it's not a hard slog, and it has tremendous quotes, uh, just tremendous variety of quotes from famous people and less famous people. Just tremendous. The front cover we have a chick, and on the back we have a beautiful sheaf of asparagus. Eat this, not that. <laughs> and, and eat this, not that. And by the way, you're listening to KUCIFM 88.9 Irvine, the voice of the University of California at Irvine. And our guest today is Jennifer Horseman, who wrote with her daughter, Please Don't Eat the Animals. On the back it says, Health. Nowhere is the appeal of vegetarianism reflected more than in health issues. Scientists have drawn the connection between heavily meat-laden diets and the most serious health problems. Vegetarianism dramatically affects heart disease, many cancers, obesity, diabetes, osteoporosis, arthritis, PMS, and even longevity. Environment. 
Reducing beef and other meat consumption is one of the most potent acts you can take to halt the destruction of our environment and preserve our natural resources. Livestock farming accounts for over half of freshwater and ocean pollution. Over half. Over half. It significantly affects air pollution, deforestation, and the decimation of wildlife populations. It also contributes to global warming. Animal welfare. With the troubling plight of animals on factory farms, animal welfare issues have gained prominence in recent years. And that's what put me off turkey at Thanksgiving for the first time two years ago. When you realized never how, what was happening to these turkeys. Unbelievable. Over 200 animal rights organizations have been established by people deeply concerned with the inhumane way animals are treated. Animal rights ethics courses have emerged on university campuses, even in law schools. And finally, of most interest to me, religious and spiritual, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, and you could also mention Buddhism, have strong injunctions against cruelty to animals, and many Hindus are vegetarians. Muhammad said, whoever is kind to the creatures of God is kind to himself. According to the Buddha, quote, the eating of meat extinguishes the great seed of compassion, end quote. And in fact, when you read the Bible, as I do every day, Elf Princess, mm-hmm. you find out that there are unbelievable quantity of rules about the treatment yeah. of meat. There are almost no rules. I cannot think of a rule about the treatment of vegetables. But there are <laughs> numerous rules, complicated involving rules about the treatment of meat in the Bible. And, of course, in the Garden of Eden, uh, when you read the Bible in the Garden of Eden... Uh, God gave us the right to eat any green living thing of seed. He did not talk about eating the animals. That was only later after the fall of man. And, you know, I think it's an important point about religions and vegetarianism, especially Judaism and their kosher laws, because many religious people, most religious people, have drawn a connection between our compassion for animals and our compassion for people. Because if you are able to hurt an animal, it's so close to being able to hurt a person. And the opposite is also true. That I Have you ever just heard someone, like you're walking along, you see a cute dog, you ask the person about their dog, and immediately their voice softens, their eyes light up, they're smiling as they tell you, just how they happen to have the greatest dog on earth. (laughs) And animals, in a very special way, connect us to our humanity Mm -hmm. in a way that nothing else... It's it's a very powerful connection. Well, and I love one of the quotes that you have in this book. uh, States that so beautifully from St. Francis of Assisi, who says, Not to hurt our humble brethren, the animals, is our first duty to them, but to stop there is not enough. We have a higher mission, to be of service to them whenever they require it. Whenever they require it. If you have men who will exclude any of God's creatures from the shelter of compassion and pity, you will have men who will deal likewise with their fellow men. Yeah. Very, very, very insightful. Yeah. As as well, this great quote from Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, the current. Uh, he is a vegetarian, a pesco vegetarian. A lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that. Yes, he's very, very. Him and uh, Pope John Paul were both very alarmed by the industrialization of the meat industry, where they yeah. say, you you really can't uh, 
courted intellectually and not realize that it, it, this is not right. Right. <laughs> Let me guess. A pesco vegetarian is a vegetarian that adds just fish to the diet. Yes. Right. Yes. And it's hard. As a Christian, it's hard to ignore the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus himself handed out fish. It's hard to ignore that. It is, however, I will say, that is what happened at that time and in that place. We live in a time now when it is not necessary to consume meat in order to (laughs) feed thousands of people. That's Um, a very good point. Yeah, I just want to interject right there because maybe someone in the listening audience knows this. But the LA Times had an op-ed piece written by a marine biologist who I believe was connected to either UCLA or UCI. And she wrote a piece about, from uh, a biologist's point of view, the tremendous amount of energy and thirst for life found in a fish. Mm-hmm. Where it, it was so convinced, it was the most compelling argument for not eating fish too. And well, to all my friends who eat fish, when it comes up, I'll always say, oh, well, fish want to live, too. And people will hear that, and they think it's hilarious. But the <laughs> thing is, but Jennifer, if you think about it, too, it's the same thing I feel, you know, no one would go out into their the other room and get their pet dog and slaughter it for their dinner. Yeah. But it's because they have an emotional connection, a relationship with that dog. They yes. would say that that's horrible. Yeah. But but they think it's okay to do that with a chicken, but it's only because they don't have an emotional relationship with that chicken. Somebody who has a fish tank would never consider taking their favorite little fish that delights them day in and day out, swimming around in the water and doing funny things. They would never think about pulling it out of the fish tank and eating it for dinner. So. And, and, and yet, on the contrary side, Elf Princess, I can tell you a very, very close family member who has a beautiful aquarium tank and he has no problem going to a Chinese restaurant and picking the fish that he's going to be eating in 10 minutes. <laughs> so it takes all kinds. I know. But certainly yeah. one of the things about the religious aspect, the ethical aspect, is the ethical treatment of animals. Yeah. I mean, certainly, certainly even, even when we're on different sides of the issue, one could agree that there's a big difference between I believe I believe that there's a big difference between sort of the reverential uh, killing of an animal such as the American Indians did and the sort of the willy-nilly devil-may-care approach that the massive million chicken million turkey farms do in this country yeah, and cows and pigs Not to mention it, it cows actually and pigs. pigs are probably the most inhumane. Those, those poor pigs. Oh, it, it's tragic. I lived in North Carolina for a few years, yeah, right. and it was just a, a horrendous, horrendous uh, environment. Read that. There's a place in here about a woman who lives, lit, had to move from North Carolina because of the pig farms. That's right. And and the thing, um, as you're looking for that, as you're looking for that, um, let me mention, too, that a lot of times people don't think about the workers in these places have to wear masks because the fumes from this stuff burns their throats so badly. What about the throats of lungs. what about the throats of the lung and the lungs of the animals? Well, people a lot <laughs> of are, people don't realize that pigs. Yeah, exactly. That pig farmers wear masks because the fumes are so potent, so toxic, so it will scorch their lungs. Well, pigs. It's I think 
the figure is like 85% of the pigs have pneumonia at the time of slaughter. They're, they're constantly pumped with antibiotics because of this very reason their lungs are giving out. And they, that's very, very dangerous because if we allow antibiotics... If we allow antibiotics to be injected everywhere, then pretty soon there will be strains of bacteria that are antibiotic-resistant, and we have a problem. But you asked me to read this portion by the rabbi. This is by Rabbi Dan Cohn-Sherbach. He is a professor as well as being a rabbi. He says, quote, As the trucks rolled by, I saw the cows and sheep in those trucks being transported. Wood can only see their eyes through the slits in the trucks, and it struck me that that was very much like the scene out of the Holocaust period of Jews being transported in cattle trucks to their fate. During the Holocaust, I am sure that the German people were aware that Jews and others were being treated in the most horrific way. They may not have known all the details, but they must have known something, but they didn't want to think about it. And I think today we also don't want to think about the way in which animals are being treated. So there is a parallel in terms of our desire not to reflect on what is really happening. And you were talking about this story about the girl, uh, the woman who lived near a a pig farm in North Dakota. Uh, She says here, We lived about 15 miles from a large hog operation. Most days the stench was unimaginable. We couldn't sit on our porch or in the backyard, and the kids got so that they didn't want to go outside to play. No matter what I tried, I couldn't get it off our clothes. My youngest got teased at school, and, well, imagine going to church, carrying the faint but discernible scent of pig manure. Our property value plummeted. We probably couldn't give our house away, and we had no choice, really, but to sue the owner, which turned out to be a big corporation. But what got to me most was the idea of the pigs themselves. The workers all wore masks to protect their lungs, but no one cared about the pigs. The air burns their lungs and causes all kinds of respiratory diseases, and so they have to pump them full of antibiotics just to keep them alive. The whole thing is not right. And that's the thing where I think a lot of times, and it's amazing to me where in my job I'll talk to people when I can about vegetarianism. I I always like to respect people's path um, and not try to force my views on other people. But at the same time, you know, just as I allow people to share their views, I also share mine. And it's amazing to me how many people, when I will ask them what they think about vegetarianism about the treatment of animals or about what all the generation of all this trash is doing to our planet the answer i get so often especially from young people is i don't i try not to think about it i just can't think about it it's too overwhelming and i think we've got to think about it somebody's got to think about it because we all know that it can't which is exactly what the rabbi was saying in that period by the way listeners this is kuci in irvine you're listening to jennifer horseman and, sh- and the great book, Please Don't Eat the Animals. We're reading some of the most notable quotes, but there is a raft of just wonderful information here about the animals, about health, uh, and it's just a very thought-provoking. I will be taking it home and sharing it with the family to see what we think about this. Oh, and, and in fact... I, I, just, I, I just, on what you just said, mm-hmm. um, this is a quote from Peter Singer, because he discusses that. Um, Those who by their purchase require animals to be killed have no right to be shielded from the slaughterhouse or any other aspect of the production of meat they buy. If it is distasteful for humans to think about, what can it be like for the animals to experience it? Yes. So that's just, you know. 
And I share with you, Jennifer, the passion, f- because for me, the vegetarianism, it's amazing to me how many people um, ask me about my vegetarianism, and they say, oh, well, you seem really healthy. And what they don't realize <laughs> is that health, I, uh, I appreciate the byproduct of vegetarianism, which, which is yeah. being healthier. Yeah. But for me, it really is about the animals. It's, yeah. And so a lot of times, uh, it's very sad to me when I meet someone um, who goes along the vegetarian, you know, decides to, as they put it, try vegetarianism. And then they come back and say, well, I tried being a vegetarian for a while and I just felt like I wasn't getting enough protein. And now I'm, you know, so I needed to uh, put some meat back in my diet. And I'd like, we only have a few minutes, but I'd like for you to speak to this a little bit because there are ways that we can get enough protein, but it it's, can't be only about us. You know, it's got to also yeah. be about the animals. It's like, let me, it, for everybody out there who has that concern, it, and it is the number one question I get is, how do you get your protein? And the fact is, you if you eat a normal, this is a scientifically, I'm not, <laughs> this is a fact. It is. <laughs> uh, that if you eat a normal caloric amount, it is actually impossible not to get your daily requirement for protein. And if you just think about it, there has never, you probably, unless you you have anorexia, God forbid, you um, have never met anyone who had a protein deficiency. And in, fact, in this country. In this country, exactly. We're, yeah. yeah, other countries, all bets are off. But uh, and more and more as country other countries adopt the American diet of uh, and go to industrialized meat production, they're having the exact same problems. Right. Because the, a much bigger problem in this country is too much protein. Right. And the average American gets forty five percent too much protein every single day, and that affects your heart, your kidneys, your, your liver. Kidneys. I had a nephrologist, a kidney doctor, tell me a few weeks ago that uh, people, in this country at least, almost always eat too much protein, and that has a negative effect on kidney health. Yeah, it's a much bigger, it's so much, a much bigger health problem than protein deficiency forget don't even worry about it and i wish i had the some of the documentation here but i recently read something that uh, talks about vegetarians are virtually immune from having uh, colon cancers it's, whereas it's so rare that a vegetarian well the there's facts like this that are really interesting a smoker who's a vegetarian has less chance of getting lung cancer than a non-smoker who is a meat eater isn't that yeah. fabulous? That's yeah. an unbelievable <laughs> statistic. It's it, there's a, uh, vegetarian affects a number of proteins. They think and they think dietitians conclude that about forty percent of the cancers are diet related. And if you are diagnosed with breast cancer, your survival rate skyrockets, goes way up if you become a vegetarian at that point. Wow. Well, I want to say, because we are out of time, uh, for yeah. our listeners that are tuning in, this is What Would Arwen Do? Our guest today has been Jennifer Horseman. However, normally at 5 o'clock here on KUCI, the Blue and Gold Report is on. However, Jennifer has graciously consented to stay on for the next hour while I will be filling in during that time because um, Mark Roberts is not here right now, so we will not be having the gold, Blue and Gold Report. So we will be continuing this conversation and also sharing some poetry with you.
uh, if you are listening uh, in honor of National Poetry Month. But continuing this conversation, there are so there is so much in here, Jennifer, that we didn't even get to that I think um, would be of so much interest to our listeners. Because for me, even though it's the animals, I think sometimes people just like some of the hard facts and statistics. Yeah. Yeah. And some of your the things that you share in here, like this one, uh, this one little chapter and excerpt here about um, where it says, and you thought Mount Everest was big. Oh uh, my that, gosh! That says one study puts animal waste in the United States to between <sighs> two point four trillion. That's trillion, trillion with, with a, a T. T to three point nine trillions per year. Per or put, year. Or put another way, the United States, the United States alone, produces 15,000 pounds of manure per person per year. And this is 130 times the amount of waste produced by the entire human population of the United States. So those are some of the startling statistics that people can find in your book. That um, because I'm from, I'm kind of one of a little bit of a pragmatist. In if you won't do it for the animals, then do then do it for selfish reasons. Just do it. Yes. <laughs> and that's what's great about the film. the uh, The book has four categories of very important information: health environment, animal welfare, and religious yes. reasons to adopt this approach. Vegetarian so diet. I will have to take this home, read it, and pray on it. And um, I would like to invite our listeners also, because Jennifer has very graciously offered to um, give away a copy of her book. Would you sign it for our listener, oh. too, if we haven't? So we are going to go to a little musical break, and then we will be back. Jennifer and I will be, be back uh, for another hour uh, to spend with you. Um, Milo, though. Um, I have previous commitments, as you know. previous commitments, and so <laughs> that is going to wrap it up today for What Would Arwen Do? We will be back in two weeks uh, with more Hobbit and Elf adventures. And to more poetry. And, and more poetry. And so um, let's, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, end our time together with a little music from one of my favorite uh, singers, Colette Baran. My Govanan, as you would say. Elin Salalamin Amintielvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. Namaria?